Welcome back to In the Know. I'm Luke Diamond. I'm Tiffany Bowie. What's going on, Tiffany? So with the cold weather, I've been seeing a lot of Canada Goose jackets. Do you know what those are? No, I have no idea. I'm a layerer. I don't wear winter jackets. Yeah, I, I've noticed. The biggest thing is they're $1,000. $1,000? For a winter jacket? Some of them can be more, depending okay. on That's what that, style you get. Yeah, those are the Carlson students who are wearing that. You know, <laughs> not to throw shade, but when I am at the Carlson stop, that's where I see the greatest density of Canada Goose yeah, jackets. Yeah, that doesn't surprise me. So my question for you is what item that is not $1,000 would you spend $1,000 on for like a really good quality thing? You know what I would pay $1,000 for? Um, (laughs) Speaking of Carlson students, this is a total (laughs) Carlson thing. I would totally spend, if I had it, $1,000 on a nice watch. And then you can just walk around and be like, hi, do you know what time it is? Let me check my Rolex, (laughs) my diamond encrusted Rolex. (laughs) It's 4.30. Thanks, bye. (laughs) Thanks, you're poor. Bye. (laughs) Walks away from bus stop. (laughs) Oh, boy. Let's get to the headlines. Yeah, let's get to our headlines this week. Last year, Ben Shapiro and student conservative groups who invited him to campus sued the university. They alleged the university had a political bias when they moved Shapiro's speaking event to a smaller location than originally requested. On Wednesday, a judge partially ruled in Shapiro and the student group's favor, agreeing that the change was potentially politically motivated. Vapors may need to start watching where they puff. A bill introduced in the state House of Representatives would ban vaping in the same places where smoking is already prohibited. However, some students say regulating the many people on campus who already vape would be difficult especially when there are discreet ways to sneak a hit. University students are often advised to take classes that double dip or fulfill two liberal arts requirements. However, a university committee is looking to overhaul the 20-year-old academic curriculum and reduce double dipping options. Committee members say in the current system, students focus too much on just the easiest path to a degree rather than taking classes that interest them. They plan to bring the new framework to the Faculty Senate by the end of the semester and initiate rollout in 2020. And those are headlines for the week. Discreetly hits vape. Across college campuses in the United States, students have led the charge for more equitable racial representation. In 2014, students at Washington University in St. Louis mobilized to protest police brutality following the deaths of Eric Garner and Michael Brown. The next year, they demanded the administration address racial and economic inequality on campus. In 2017, the African Black Student Alliance at University of California, Santa Cruz, occupied an administrative building in protest of racism at their school. They refused to leave until the administration agreed to their list of demands. Here at the University of Minnesota, dissenting student voices are not any quieter. On Monday, students and faculty gathered at Kaufman Memorial Union to celebrate and remember what student activism changed 50 years ago. The event lasted all day and included music, poetry readings, and Q&As. But at its core was a man, a protester, who in 1969 banded with his peers to demand racial equality on campus. Please, uh, 
help me give a very, very warm welcome to Dr. Hawley. I'm Dr. Horace Huntley from Birmingham, Alabama. I finished here at uh, University of Minnesota in 1970, one of the first graduates in African American studies. I was born in Birmingham in 1942. Of course, Birmingham was the largest segregated big city in, in the country. When I was born, my grandmothers entered the front door of the hospital. And I say what they did, they were feeding me what I term nerve juice because they were saying to Birmingham that I'm not going to accept that kind of indignity any longer and uh, by uh, going against the norms of a Birmingham segregated society, uh, they were really questioning uh, the validity of segregation and white supremacy at the time. Little Horace inherited his grandmother's activist spirits. One day, when the KKK burned a cross near his home, then caravan through his neighborhood, 12-year-old Horace fought back. And as they drove through, we had stacked rocks up and we threw rocks at the cars. And we were afraid as all get out. Uh, we ran, ran home, and every time a car would come past the house, I knew it was a clan coming to get us. So that was a night of no sleep or rest at all. Uh, but we had simply sent a message to the clan and to Birmingham that we were in defiance of what they represented. After he graduated high school, Horace enlisted in the Air Force. He wanted to, in his words, to see the world. And I was sent to Grand Forks, North Dakota. And that was as far as I made it while I was in the military. During his time in Grand Forks, Horace married his high school sweetheart. After his first tour, they moved to Minneapolis, and he enrolled at University of Minnesota. In 1967, I was a 25-year-old freshman at the University of Minnesota. So I took the, the scenic route to get here. Yes. Horace joined a student group on campus called the African American Action Committee or the AAAC. Its primary focus was increasing black representation at the university. And right around the time he joins, the conversation surrounding race in the U.S. is electrified. Some very sad news for all of you, and I think uh, sad news for all of our fellow citizens and people who love peace all over the world. And that is that Martin Luther King was shot and was killed tonight in Memphis. Suddenly, the AAAC is galvanized to act. They write a list of demands for the university to better its inclusion of black students, and they bring it to the administration. Eight months pass. Nothing happens. So they think, you won't come to us? Fine. We'll come to you. And on January 14, 1969, 70 African-American students marched to Morrill Hall to confront the administration. We'd actually narrowed it to three, three uh, demands at that time. The, the Afro Department, the development of the Martin Luther King program, and for the university to assist in sponsoring a black, uh, black student um, black Student Conference. 
And basically, the response was a negative response for all three. We decided at that point that we had to do something, so we ended the meeting and we went downstairs in Morrow Hall to the Bursar's office, and that is when we decided to sit in at, Mo- at the at Morrow Hall. The students occupied Morrill Hall and refused to leave until the administration spoke with them. They waited for hours, yet as night fell, the administration finally agreed to negotiate. And we stayed there overnight. We negotiated with the administration. The following morning, we had come to an agreement on all three, a positive agreement where we were concerned, on the, the three demands. And we left um, Moore Hall and marched back to Kaufman. The administration agreed to all three requests, and that is how the University of Minnesota African American Studies Department was created. I am Professor Rose Brewer. I'm a professor in the Department of African American and African Studies. I also have appointments in uh, gender, women, and sexuality studies and uh, sociology. Professor Brewer is intentional about teaching all of her African American Studies students the story of Morrill Hall. That's an immediate thing that, uh, for example, I do the Introduction to African American and African Studies course. We start with that. You don't move to anything else about the field before understanding its origins and understanding student activism as being quite critical, if not foundational, to black studies here at the University of Minnesota. And then we do a lot of other things also. (laughs) Do you believe student activism on campus today can still achieve those sort of institutional changes? Oh, without a doubt. I think that student activism, students have more power than they realize they have. There is no one way to get anything done. It may not be taken over for the administration building. It may just be a a sit-down, a, a boycott in the uh, a classroom. Um, but sure, there are ways that you can get things done, even today. Um, but you still have to have committed people to be able to do that, if you are to succeed. The work Dr. Huntley helped start isn't over yet. The African American and African Studies Department still labors to increase black representation among students, faculty, and administration, as well as diversify historically exclusive curricula. Professor Brewer is also collaborating with teachers to educate high school students about black history. This episode of In the Know was produced by me, Luke Diamond, and is reported by my wonderful co-host, Tiffany Bui. Our intro music is by J.D. Duggan. Listen to us on Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's all for this week. Thanks for listening.